Before we uh, begin the message this morning, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we discuss this morning from your word, the mother of our faith, we pray, Lord, that you would bless it to our hearts. Father, that from the example set before us, we would learn how to be light in the darkness, and Lord, how to be a faithful testimony to you. We thank you, Father, for the testimony of Sarah. And we pray, Lord, now that you would bless that testimony to us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a tragic irony that on this Mother's Day, the public discourse should be so dominated by the discussion of the supposed right of mothers in regard to abortion. And technically, that's what the subject deals with. Even though that particular wording of the issue has been scrupulously avoided, the debate is really about a mother's right to abort her child. By calling it a woman's right, they're attempting to distance the mother from the child. But it is inevitably a hopeless effort. And in the end, many women struggle with the reality, despite those efforts to cleverly manipulate the language. Sadly, those who support that imagined right have raised the matter to such a shrill level that I believe they're doing more harm to women than good. By rendering the question so volatile, by making violent threats and by denigrating any and all opposition, they've placed many women who are already vulnerable in a terrible position. To listen to some of these people, one would think that aborting a child is the only proper and responsible thing for a mother to do. It's some sort of political gesture. You have to do this. It's sad and it's tragic. But it may also impact the way those who oppose abortion view the matter. While we defend the right to life, the church and the Christians who make it up have to be very, very careful not to allow the noise generated by those in support of abortion to render them cold or indifferent toward the women who are unsure and confused about what they ought to do, what's right to do, or what is even best to do. And they must be careful, very careful, that it doesn't smother the need of Christian compassion towards those who have been victims of the rhetoric that pours forth from those who are dedicated to this culture of death. We must not, beloved, allow them to drive the conversation to such a level of acrimony that we lose sight of our full biblical perspective and responsibilities before God. As the Babylon Bee commented on this subject, emotion clouds judgment, passion confuses reason. Our responses must be biblical and spiritually 
reason. And the church must continue to be a place where women can come and find encouragement and solace and forgiveness accordingly. Job, in speaking of his ministry of faith in the world, said this, I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victims from his teeth. That's a good description of the need here. We oppose error with a mind toward rescuing all who are in its group, grip, whether mother or child. Now, that being said, we want to attend, turn our attention this morning to the great mother of our faith, Sarah. Though Rome has anointed Mary with that position, the scripture reserves that language or that idea for Sarah, and wisely so. Because according to the scriptures, as we'll see, Mary proved herself to be a daughter of Sarah by her faith, and not the other way around. So first look again with me at the great chapter on faith, Hebrews 11. Let's look at what it has to say about Sarah. In verses 11 and 12, we read this. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So we start out with Sarah. Here we're going through this list of champions of faith. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the story of Abraham, Sarah pops up. And the question may come to mind, why here? Why, why is Sarah suddenly here in the middle of this story about Abraham? And if we ask, how is it that Sarah comes here as a part of the testimony of Abraham's faith, the answer is really simple enough. If we go back to Mark chapter 10, in verses 6 to 8, Jesus is talking about the relationship between a husband and wife. And he says, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So what Jesus is saying there in, in Mark is that you can't talk about the one without talking about the other. Because they're one flesh. So, yes, you have the faith of Abraham, but that faith of Abraham is matched by the faith of Sarah. And so you can't talk about Abraham's faith without talking about Sarah's faith and how the Lord worked and used them both. John Owen says this, Sarah, as Abraham's wife, was both naturally and spiritually no less concerned in this matter than her husband. And it is only natural that she and her faith should be a part of the example of faith that we're talking about here when we refer to Abraham. Now, this is a very full and powerful statement about the mother of our faith. I don't know if you've ever looked at it carefully or, or really thought what's being said here, but this is an extraordinary statement about Sarah. Without putting too fine a point on it, as our British brethren like to say, 
It was faith that God would, it was faith that God would fulfill the promise made to Sarah and Abraham that resulted in her having the ability or the strength to conceive, despite her being past the age of fertility. She didn't endure it, but thankfully and joyfully embraced this matter, this idea of conceiving in her old age. The historical narrative puts the situation pretty bluntly. Moses, uh, writing in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 11, says this about Sarah. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. Can't be more blunt than that, can you? They were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She was beyond these things, beyond those things. So it was her faith that moved her to action, despite the fact that she was well beyond those things. And that faith was in him, that is in God, who is faithful, who is trustworthy or reliable in regard to all his promises. We have to understand other impediments here as well. Other things that she overcame by faith in order to get a good picture of the fullness of the trust that she had in God and his word. Despite her age and physical limitations, for example, we have the fact that Abraham himself was taken aback by the prospects of all of this. She wasn't alone in her initial reaction. We read in Genesis chapter 17, now we're in Genesis 17, in verse 15 this, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? So in that moment when we see her responding with a laugh internally, she's not the only one. Her husband was of that same spirit when he first heard this news. It wasn't just Sarah who was nonplussed, but Abraham too. And he considered this an extraordinary thing, especially considering all that was promised. And I will say more about that in a moment, because this is a very, very heavy promise being made here. Now, also notice that it didn't happen immediately. So here you have this promise that you're in your old age, well past time for having children or even thinking about or desiring it, and it doesn't happen right away when the angel says it will happen. The actual birth is a year away. Not nine months, a year away. So there's going to be a period here where nothing is going to happen. And she believes beyond that, that it is going to happen. Again, Genesis 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, as Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, 
as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Now verse 8, Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? He said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. I mentioned earlier the magnitude of the promise here. It's not just Sarah, you're going to have a son, but the promise goes way beyond that. We're in Genesis 21 now, verses 1 and 3. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And she conceived and bore Abraham a son of his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. So the first thing we see is the exact fulfillment of what was promised. What God said would happen, happened exactly as he said it would at the time he said it would happen. And that in itself is an extraordinary thing, because there's nothing here in the physical context, the natural context, that would suggest this would ever happen. And yet it happens just as God has said. And with that, we just want to take an aside here. And let me just note that in light of the present discussion in our culture at this moment, that while the Lord was opening the womb of Sarah, at the same time, he closed the wombs of all those attached to the house of Abimelech. Abraham, as you may recall, had lied about his relationship with Sarah while while living in the region controlled by Abimelech, and we're told that Abimelech's household became barren during those days. This is Genesis 20, verse 18. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So here you have, on the one hand, the Lord opening the womb of this woman who is far beyond the age of bearing children and closing the wombs of all of those who are of childbearing age. Now, this had, of course, important implications, but we'll have to deal with those at another time uh, other than what we're looking at right here. But the thing I would ask you to focus on, all I'd ask you to note now, is the evidence of God's hand in the issues of life. It was Job who confessed in Job 33, verse 4, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Job gives all of the glory for his life to God. The Apostle Paul reminded the Athenians that the God who made the world and everything in it, and this is Acts 17, verse 24, being Lord of heaven and earth, 
does not live in temples made by hand, nor is he served by human hands as though he need anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now we see here very clearly the hand of God in the issues and matters of life and the matter of the issues of birth. Now, returning to the testimony of Sarah, as the mother of our faith, we can't help but notice that she, like Abraham, laughed at this prospect, laughed within herself. Um, but that also adds, I think, to the testimony of her faith, because it tells us that she was fully aware of the natural impediment to the promise. I think that's why the laugh is recorded for us, on behalf of them both. It wasn't like they were still going around having children and everything was natural and normal for them. They both realized that this was beyond the realm of human possibility. And that's why they laughed within themselves. It's like, <laughs> this, what? what is this that's being promised to us by the Lord? But in the end, we're told in Hebrews, she considered, or that is she judged, him faithful or reliable who had promised. So at that first blush, she considers the circumstances, considers her own circumstances, and it causes her to laugh within. But how can this be? But then she considers the matter, and then she judges the Lord faithful and reliable. And so she changes her attitude from scoffing to believing because of her trust and confidence in the Lord. Not in the circumstances, not in the situation, but in the Lord who has made the promise to her. This is a good lesson on taking the scripture as a whole and comparing scripture with scripture in order to get the whole picture of what's going on. In this case, there was indeed a moment of pause. Who would not under the circumstances? But that was all it proved to be, a moment of surprise at the prospect. Her laughing, says Dixon, is not remembered, but her victory over her misbelief is commended by Hebrews. And we see just how that initial doubt is dealt with, at least at first. She laughs, and then she lies about it, right? We see that. She, she laughs, and then when the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? I didn't laugh, but of course she did. But something is put to her at that moment that she latches onto, and it carries her from there on to the fullness of the matter. Because when she protests and says, I didn't laugh, in Genesis 18, 13, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, I shall indeed bear a child now that, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? The response of the Lord is, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And it's those words that change her view. She's looking at it at first from the possibilities, from what might naturally happen, and she says, this can't happen. 
But then she's reminded and challenged with that question, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything impossible to the God of heaven? And that's where she makes the judgment. That's where she relies on the truth of what has been promised. Those words at first embarrassed her because that was sort of a rebuke. Well, you know, wait a minute, what am I thinking here? But then they emboldened her. Being awakened by that reproof and receiving a fuller evidence that it was the Lord which spoke to her, she recovered herself and rested by faith in his power and truth, says John Owen. Simply put, she acquiesced in the faith of her husband. You remember the same thing that's said of Sarah in Hebrews is said of Abraham in Romans. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And what had he promised? She's declared to be the mother of our faith because despite time and circumstance, she believed God and his word. Not just in regard, however, to her pregnancy, but all that was promised to her. And listen to it again. This is Genesis 17, 15 through 16. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Not just physically, but spiritually as well. Her faith here is a faith that goes beyond just the surface promise of becoming pregnant. Beyond that, great things are supposed to come as a result of this pregnancy. Great things that even foreshadow the coming of the Messiah and redemption. Great things that reflect you in her life. You see the character and extent of her faith. She set aside doubt. She looked beyond all the impediments. She embraced with faith what God promised. She then acted on that faith. She conducted herself as one who believed. One who believed not in part, but in the whole of what had been promised to her. John Calvin says, True faith, then, is that which hears God speaking and rests on his promise. It was said of Mary in a similar way, but even in greater circumstances, this. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
Elizabeth says that to Mary. When Mary comes into her presence, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she, blessed is Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Those who, like Sarah and Mary, believe the word of God are blessed indeed. As it was for them, so it will be for all of those who put their trust in the Lord and his promises. They'll never be disappointed, but rather amazed at how his promises not only never fail, but deliver more than is expected. As Spurgeon says, the the faithfulness of God is the blessedness of the faith of the saints. We put our trust in him, and then he does what he promises, and as he does it, we see that it involves even more than we believed, and we rejoice and we give thanks for it. Sarah's faith, beloved, rested not only in the word, but as another puts it, in the source and spring of the promise pledged, that is, in God himself. And by putting her faith in him, she had expectations that went as far as the promises went. John Owen says she believed, which is true. But there's more in this word than a naked assent. A determinate resolution of the mind and judgment on a due consideration of the evidence given for its assent unto any truth. Now, those are, it's a big sentence. What does it mean? Well, it means that there wasn't, this just wasn't Sarah saying, okay, well, God says I'm going to have a baby. I guess I'm going to have a baby. And then she just went on from there. It was a determinate resolution of the mind. That is, she looked at the circumstances, she looked at the word and promise of God, and she determined in her mind and made a judgment, considering the evidence, not of her own weakness, not of Abraham's age, not of the impossibility of the matter, but of the one who made the promise and what he had promised and how he keeps his promises and the way he fulfills his word and the power that he has to fulfill it. And then she put her trust in him and not the circumstances. So first of all, as we think about some observations that we can make on this, here in the room, in this room here, are the sons and daughters of Sarah. And yes, she's an example in her faith to both. Many women have, beloved, in their walk of faith, left not only a good example to their sons, but sometimes a sound rebuke. Women give a wonderful, powerful testimony of faith when they put their trust and confidence in God. And Sarah does that here in this context for every son and daughter who is hers by faith. It's not just an encouragement for you to believe, but it's a rebuke of any unbelief or lack of trust in your heart, man or woman. It's clear by this and the examples that follow that a woman may as well be an example of faith to the whole church as any man. And Hebrews recognizes that. And that's why it sets her forth here in this context. 
In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20, Solomon writes, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Secondly, we're focusing this morning on those mothers who live their lives by faith and who judge him faithful and reliable, who has promised. And if you've had a mother like that, you should be truly grateful today that God blessed you with that sort of a mother who was a mother like Sarah in her faith. If you are such a mother, then you are grateful to the Lord because it's a matter of his grace at work in you. It's Christ who has made you a mother in Israel and blessed you with that faith that you live by. So on the one hand, if you have had or you have such a mother, you should be thankful. Thankful to God for having blessed you with such a mother. And if you are one, you should be thankful that God has made you one by his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my great privilege, and it is a privilege, to witness the faith of many of you godly mothers. And it is a blessing to be surrounded by women who take their faith seriously and who seek to live as their mother in the faith, Sarah, lived. Doing good and fearing nothing that is frightening. It's just a blessing to be able to observe that, to see that in you godly mothers. It's an encouragement to the heart. Um, it, it's, a, it's a blessing to the soul to see women living in that kind of faith that Sarah lived in. And to see their children. And to see them growing up. And uh, maturing in their own faith. And rejoicing in the Lord. And, and giving thanks to God. It's a blessing to be able to hold, behold that. And it's one of the joys that we bring to Mother's Day, is the memory and the joy of seeing godly mothers, having the testimony and witness of godly mothers, and seeing their heritage. I say that, I say it that way, because of what the Apostle Peter said, that is, doing good and fearing nothing that is frightening. This is what Peter says about Sarah's daughters in the faith. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear. That is, uh, don't be amazed with fright, uh, unhinged, um, scared to death, we might say. Who do not fear, are not amazed with fright, by anything that is frightening. Anything that is cause enough to make one run away. 
That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about things that are frightening. It's talking about things that really are frightening, and they're enough to make a person run away. And yet here is this, these women who by faith and by their trust in the Lord are not amazed, are not made scared, are not made frightened, are not unhinged by those things. Because their trust and their confidence and their, 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 their encouragement is resting in God. The God who promises them his love. I said earlier that Mary proved herself to be a woman of faith because she followed the mother of faith, Sarah. Notice that it's not Mary who's mentioned in the great chapter on faith, but Sarah. Mary showed her faith by doing good and not fearing, but submitting herself to the Lord. And in that, she followed in the train of the faith of Sarah. So Mary shows herself to be a daughter of Sarah by the faith that she exercised. David Dixon said, She that gives to God the glory of faithfulness shall receive for a reward the full performance. You put your faith in him and you will see him fully perform all that is promised. In this case, Sarah had a very specific promise from God regarding this matter. For most of us, it's a, a trust in God's promises to fulfill his word to us in ordinary things that's required. We're not, most of us, going to have an angel come and tell us things like this. But we are to have our faith in the word of God in ordinary things. Promises like that we read in Matthew chapter 6 from Jesus, who says to us, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles of the nations seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you, or will be added to you. It's a blessed, precious, beautiful promise from the Lord. And faith trusts that promise, not because of what circumstances dictate, but because of who has made the promise, the Lord himself. We expect the fulfillment of these things, not necessarily in extraordinary ways, but by the ordinary means that God uses towards such ends. The exercise of faith in this situation is found in one seeking first the kingdom of God and then trusting the Lord and not being anxious for tomorrow because your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. Now, dear mothers, reflect for a moment on what a wonderful testimony this is for your God, to the Lord who you love. Many who are lost in this world want to put God to the test 
by demanding that he provide for some wish of theirs. Instead of putting themselves on trial by trusting him. That's what Sarah did. She put herself on trial by how she would trust God. She didn't make demands of the Lord. The Lord made a requirement of her. And she proved her faith by putting her trust in the provision that he promised by that trial. The mother who lives by faith provides a faithful witness to the glory of God. People are losing their faith these days in all sorts of things. Institutions, both private and public. Traditions, legitimate ones and illegitimate ones. And people, old and young. The mother who has her faith in God and is blessed stands in contrast because of her faith in God himself. And by living the faith of Sarah, you stand out in the world as a witness to the world of what it means to have your confidence, not in circumstances, not in situations, but in the God who promises all that he promises. In Psalm 28, verse 7, we read, The Lord is my strength and my shield. When you demonstrate that, when people are losing their faith in all the things that they want to put their trust in, and all the things they believe that are protecting them, and all the things that they think that they can count on, when you put your faith and confidence in God and bear testimony to the fact that He is your strength and your shield, you say something to them. You say, here's the answer. Here's what you're looking for. Here's where you can find what you're struggling to find. In him, my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song, I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. And every mother who lives by the faith of Sarah bears testimony to the truth of those words. That's why it may be said of the mother of our faith, And all who follow her, charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the testimony and witness of Sarah and the preservation of that testimony to us in your word. Lord, we think of how this dear woman looked not on the circumstances that confronted her. She didn't even look at the boldness of things that were promised to her. But she fixed her eyes on you. And when when she was reminded that with you all things are possible and that nothing is impossible, her heart, her mind responded with love and acquiescence and submission and joy and thankfulness. Lord, you have raised up mothers in Sarah's kind among us. And we thank you for every one of them. And we pray, Lord, that we would heed their witness and pay attention to their testimony, Lord, and rejoice in it. 
We pray, Father, that the mothers here among us today would be blessed, that you would strengthen them in Sarah's faith, and that, Lord, they would take their place as a witness in the world. And then we pray that you would make that witness effectual, where other women and, and other people are are distraught because they don't have any anchor for their souls and they don't know where to turn and they don't know what to do. We pray, Lord, that the witness and testimony of faithful, godly mothers will speak to them that there is a place of comfort, there is a place of of, uh, connection, there is a place where you can go and find the forgiveness of sins and the joy of life, not resting in the things of this world, but in the things of the living God. And we pray, Lord, that that testimony of traction will be effectual by your grace. We thank you again, Lord, for every godly mother we have known and every godly mother in our midst. And we thank you for the gift of their love through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.